0: Today's reading comes from Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 16. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the, gate, at the gate of the temple that was called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he flexed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple. Asking for arms, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what he at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by your, by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant. This is God's word.
1: Remain standing, saints, and we're going to go ahead and pray, and we're going to just enjoy our time of training. Bow your heads, please. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the opportunity uh, to read your word. We, we want to pause, Lord, and just acknowledge uh, your goodness to us, where there's many all around the world who are traveling in different kind of vehicles and trying to get away from different people uh, to just find a Bible and and hear what you have to say. And here we are in our abundance with um, three, four, five, six Bibles in our homes. Hundreds of Bibles up in storage. And then we get to sit here freely. And we get to hear from the King of Kings. And so we pause to thank you for that goodness. And to acknowledge um, yeah, that reality. And to ask you to strengthen those who are indeed experiencing life-threatening circumstances. Just to be in and reading your scriptures. So I pray, Lord, would you allow us to um, be stewards of that? You've given us this freedom. You've given us the, the beauty of hearing from you, Lord. I pray we would, we would want to know what you have to say. And we, would, we would ask your Holy Spirit to allow us to apply to our lives uh, and that we would become more like you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, work in and through us, and I pray by your grace, would you speak through me, Lord? Um, if I'm up here in the flesh trying to, uh, to put on a certain act or persona or try to show how smart I am, Lord, you're not going to bless that. And I pray you don't. Uh, but I do pray, Lord, um, if by your grace I've experienced and understand my brokenness and understand it's only by your grace that I can share anything, Lord, would you use me? And would you be exalted? In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Thanks, guys. Um, if you need Bibles, just raise your hand and, and we'll hook you up with Bibles. Uh, we also just want to continue to sound the, the, the horn of, of you uh, bringing your own Bible. If you have one, and if you do not talk with us, we would love to give you one. Very important for us to be just navigating and getting uh, familiar with uh, how to be navigating through the scriptures. We, it's very important for us uh, as a local body. Uh, what we do is we exposit passages, which means we... Um, well, I would say we uh, do exegesis, which means we don't try to place our meaning into the text, but we try to see what the text is saying and, and receive meaning from the text, from what the scriptures are saying, from what God is saying through the power of the Holy Spirit as he wrote um, uh, through man. We are, as a local body, we go through books of the Bible. Uh, we've done many. If you go to our website, you'll see all the different books we've done thus far as um, as a, young, as a young local body, and right now we are in the book of Acts. Uh, we'll be in Acts for some time. Uh, you've come in on a moving train. If you're a visitor, uh, we, we want to encourage you uh, to go to the website and get back and um, see where we are and see what's going on. Hopefully, uh, in addition to that, this uh, discussion and this training time will still encourage you and hopefully be clear in itself. But we just want you to have the whole picture. And I want to encourage you, if you're a visitor, to... Um, Uh, To continue to come and and, and don't uh, have a close shape, but hear the whole story, uh, I encourage you to go through the book of Acts with us and see what the Lord does uh, in your heart and in your life um, through the ministering of his scriptures. We we like to share as a local community uh, that you can ask questions in our body. Uh, We just want to be chopping it up, want to continue to grow. We just always ask that you would consider uh, if a question can really... uh, bring edification to the community of faith here as a whole, or if it's something personal that you and I can talk about at the end, or you can talk to one of our elders or one of our leaders, Uh, but at at most point, we would love to just uh, have if there's something where you can encourage the body, or if there's a question that you think uh, could bring value uh, to the discussion, we want to free you to do that, all right guys? Uh, So we're in Acts chapter 3, and let me just help you understand, uh, a lot has gone on uh, in our in our brief uh, couple, couple of chapters, uh, first and foremost, just one of our minor saints uh, that we have, uh, Luke and Acts, that he started, uh, it started as one book, okay, it was one book of, of, of the canon, and basically it was a whole book trying to encourage Theophilus, who was a very a Greek leader, on the reality of, of Jesus' reign, right, and the life and works of Jesus Christ and who he is, what he did, why he did it, and what it meant um, for him. As far as application. Right. Uh, we eventually see as time went on, uh, the, the Luke and Acts uh, basically became two books uh, in the scriptures. And what we see is we see that actually the the end of Luke and the beginning of Acts um, kind of intertwines a little bit as you're, you're getting a, a kind of a picture of what happened right after the resurrection in both accounts from different kind of angles, um, we also see, as we continue to move on toward uh, the book of Acts, it moves from just the resurrection and what happens, where it talks about Jesus rising from the dead and revealing himself. And then, uh, basically, that's when Acts kind of takes over, and then Jesus began to reveal his mission. And what we love about the book of Acts in the beginning of Acts, it talks about the sense of, uh, and these are the works that Jesus began to do. And we, all, we, we stayed there for a little bit because I wanted us to pause. He's talking about what Jesus began to do after a whole life lived, death and resurrection. His whole point there, I hope that encourages all of us to see, wow, if Jesus began to do work. Well, how does he do that? He does that through the power of the Holy Spirit, empowering his people to be about accomplishing his mission. And And so Jesus shows and reveals his mission, provides the power to accomplish it through the Holy Spirit. His believers are filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts. Um, He reminds all these people who are seeing this this beautiful act, uh, the supernatural act, who are hearing this. He comes, he says, let me tell you what's going on. Let me document it for you. This was in scriptures. This is what God said he was going to do. He said it in Joel. He was going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. Uh, This was in the Old Testament. It validates basically that Jesus is God, that he's the exalted king, and that now he has the Holy Spirit. Uh, to, to dispense upon all his people right? that he's been given that, that mandate uh, the Jews uh, facing the reality of being enemies of God being preached the gospel by Peter showing that you are enemy of God and now you've seen these guys receive the Holy Spirit now you realize that you murdered Jesus that that Jesus you murdered actually is God that he died he rose from the dead and now he ascends to the right hand of the father as king you killed him and they're like okay if we kill Jesus what are we supposed to do Right. So they ask, what shall we do? The Bible says that their hearts were, were cut. Right. And they're like, what do we do then? Peter tells them the gospel and he says, hey, you need to repent of your sins. You need to realize that you're broken and that God is a full healer. Right. You need to experience the forgiveness of your sins by your savior. You need to experience the feeling of the Holy Spirit. And he tells them you need to repent and trust the Lord. God gives many of these guys grace to become Christians as we move further on in the book. Uh, He gives them grace to receive the Lord. And it says in the scriptures that about 3,000 become Christians. And all of a sudden, we see a Christian community formed. And so we looked at last week, all right, these Christians who are now saying, man, we're Jews, but now our, our focus, our telos, all the fulfillment that we thought was going to happen at the end of time has happened in the middle of time or we don't know where we are, but Jesus is king. He's sovereign. We're reigning with him now. So what does it mean for us to live and do life? And we begin to see a picture of that um, in Acts chapter 2 toward the end of the passage where we see some key aspects of what does it mean to be the covenant people of God. And now... As they're doing life as a covenant people, uh, we get to get a little snapshot where kind of like Luke desires to pan in a little bit in Acts chapter 3 and gives us a kind of a historical narrative event of what was going on in the life of the local body, specifically its leaders, um, as they were seeing God's kingdom come. And that's where we are today, Acts chapter 3. I hope you got your Bibles open and just go ahead and get ready to rock. All right. Question I want to ask you guys as we rock in Acts chapter 3 is, I think Acts chapter 3 brings a good question, uh, as I was thinking, as I was reading and praying through the scriptures, and that is, uh, what is my relationship with Jesus now versus then? You know, have you ever thought about that? Like, is there a difference um, like, you know, wow, you know, sometimes we can read the Bible, and I think I've been trying to make a claim here, uh, that when you read the Bible, if we're careful, we can see, wow, God did all this really cool stuff, and, and God was doing all these things to validate himself as king, and now we just kind of uh, know he did those things, and we kind of live a life sort of like just remembering what he did. But we don't remember, we don't think about what he's doing now, and that he does those things now. And so we, we live in this weird dichotomy, trying to understand what does it mean to live life as a Christian? Do we have access, like these guys have access, to Jesus, right? And so I, I think what, I, what I've tried to show is in Acts chapter 1, 2, and even in 3, with this historical narrative hopefully proving some of the theological framework that we've built in Acts chapter 1 and 2, um, that actually we are experiencing and can experience what they experienced uh, in the first century. In fact, I mean, there's about uh, 14 physical healings in Acts, uh, in the book of Acts, which, uh, again, we talk about historically. The reason for that is because he's validating that his kingdom has come in Christ, okay? But at the same time, the question is, does that happen today? Does God use us? So just keep that in your mind as we go through the text. Ask yourself, how do I live life, and do I think that the life I live in Christ, I have the same access as those guys in the first century? Verse 1, the scripture says, now Peter and John were going up to the temple, and I love uh, this passage here because it really brings us to some some key questions. It says, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, right, the whole ninth hour piece, probably like uh, three Uh, in the afternoon, and and I love the fact you see these guys, and this is just just sort of like, hopefully get you away from American evangelicalism, we can kind of think, uh, so they're Jewish people, they come to Christ, and they become evangelical American Christians, right? And now they move from going to Temple to Starbucks, you know, we kind of think, like, that's what happened, right? They're doing quiet times, and, you know, we just... Right, or that, maybe that's just me, but you kind of you just put it in your scale of how you do life, right? And you go, all of a sudden now they're having you know hangout times and they're playing little games, and uh, and I want to propose to you that that the first century Jewish Christian at, for a while didn't see themselves as different than their Jewish brothers and sisters. Actually, they they were they were for a while was trying to cling hold and say, no, I'm still part of this community, but now we're fulfilled in Christ. And so the Christ event informed everything they did, but they still saw themselves as, as, as devout Jewish people who are experiencing the fulfillment and aren't waiting any longer. And that's a big difference, because that's why it's not abnormal that these, these, these Christians were still going to temple. All right? They're still going to temple, but everything they're hearing, keep in mind, the temple in itself wasn't proclaiming Christ. Right? They were still waiting for Messiah. So they're sitting there hearing this, but in their mind, they're going, hmm, but Jesus came. And they're, they're taking it all. And they're sitting there. You ever been to a bad church? All right, now tell them somebody, right? You, you're at a church and it's not preaching the gospel, and, but you try to be teachable. Uh oh. And you, try, you we've had some talk. And you, and you, but you're, you're not trying to, you don't want to be arrogant. And so you want to be like, Lord, I want to be teachable, right? So you're in there and you're going, Okay, and you just, you're trying to not throw the baby out with the bathwater, and you're taking the good things, you're taking the bad things. I wonder if it was kind of like that for the Jewish Christian as they've been revealed Messiah. They're still there, but a lot of the things they were talking about when they were talking about the non-fulfillment of Christ, or non-fulfillment in general, they had their king right on their heart. So they go up to, to prayer, ninth hour, and it says, um, And a man lame from birth was being carried whom they lay daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering temple. So you imagine this? So imagine this dude, he's, he's laying there. And also, it's interesting, a couple of things. He's things. He had friends because they had some people carrying him, right? And it seems like in temple you would go at least twice a week. Okay, so like actually probably sometimes more than that. And so people would carry this dude to probably this area, uh, for a couple times a week for years because this guy was lame since birth. Okay? I just want to, I just want we talk a lot about putting our first century glasses on and I also like to just encourage us, remember, these things happened. This dude is real. Right? There was a guy who could not walk and he was sitting there and he was hoping that the people of God would care for him. Right? And he would go and he would just sit there and he would kind of Kind of big, kind of big. Never, he's never been on his feet before. This is a guy who um, probably probably wouldn't get married, right? And what he does, he puts himself at the mercy of God's people. This is, a, this is a dire situation. He's asking for money, and the scripture says in verse three, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive to receive alms, right? Now, what's interesting to me is if this guy is always there, that means that Peter and John saw him before. That means that Peter and John, on many occasions, walked past this dude. You ever think about that? The guys that saw Jesus raised from the dead walked past this guy. And what's interesting is, uh, for some reason, the author wanted you to understand that, right? says, it, it tells you kind of the inference is that he's been there for a while. So the author wants you to know, wants you to recognize, it wasn't like this guy just happened to be there. But there is some familiarity here. And Peter directed his gaze at him. Now, I always ask myself, when we talk about healing, it's interesting to me, what made Peter and John, on that day, They walked past him all the time. But on that day, for some reason, God gave him the grace to say, today, Jesus is going to heal you. Isn't that interesting? The scriptures read in verse 4, and Peter directed his gaze at him as did John and said, look at us. You know what I'm going to say, right? You know I've been talking about this for, for at least weeks. This is the same Peter. Of, who denied Jesus? Who was a straight punk a couple of chapters ago? You know, since then, he has stood in front of thousands preaching a couple of times, right? He's doing miracles, and he grabs this dude and he says, Hold up, look at me, man, right? Showing a little dignity, look at me, we're just men. And he fixes attention on them, verse 5, expecting to receive something from them. Right? Oh, he's going to hook me up. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He takes his hand and he raises him up, the scriptures say, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Right? you imagine this? Think about it. Miracles are crazy, right? Because, again, me as a human, when I think of miracles, I kind of make them as, like, really cool natural things right I think miracles let me okay so having babies right we got Carter isn't it cool how babies learn to walk now I'm not a doctor at all but it's cool how the Lord has wired it where you know they kind of first you know because their legs are really weak so they can't just get up and start walking even if they wanted to right even if they had the aptitude they wouldn't have the muscle right so they kind of lean on something for a while or at first they start bouncing on you like all the time you know what I'm talking about right you know the baby bouncing your leg all the time, you know? He's like, hey, stop, man, stop, you know. And then and, and I wonder if the Lord is like just allowing them get getting getting ready. Oh, I'm about to do this, you know, to get the muscles right. All of a sudden, you know, they start like those they'll you know, kinda of, like always straighten their legs. You know, they straighten their legs like. And then you put them down, they kinda of, like get up on something, right? And then they kinda of just do this for a while. It's just there, I don't know what to do. You know. <laughs> and then all of a sudden they kinda of go, right? And then they kind of straighten up. They get more confidence. And it's cool to me how the Lord is allowing them during that whole process, they're just getting stamina and getting strength to actually walk and get in balance. All right, that's a baby. This dude is a grown man. He's experienced atrophy. I mean, I don't even know what his legs are supposed to look like. And a miracle, Peter grabs a dude and he's not like, well, my legs are sore. Uh, Let me try a little bit. Let me, you know, can we see some of that in the scriptures where God heals someone and they slowly like, at first, you know, he puts stuff on his eyes and he's like, can kind of see, oh, my fault. Let me get a little more mud. You know, let me get a little more water. Oh, there you go. You know, it's like, you know, David Blaine or something. You're like, whoa, whoa, dude. You know, right? Right. And and it's Jesus making another point. Here, I wonder, if you ask yourself, why in this miracle does Jesus give us the grace to not have any middleman, to not have any kind of like continual process of seeing the healing? I wonder if it's because Jesus was trying to make a point that these guys have access to Christ, and God heals. And so, I, I'll let you, so I'm, trying to, I'm trying to answer other questions in the gospel because I am the Savior, but I need to probably do something real serious for this guy so you can see I ain't playing. So when Paul, Peter said, get up and walk, there's no drama. Boom, legs fully healed, got up started walking. In fact, the scripture says he doesn't just walk, what did he do? He started leaping, bruh. He starts leaping and jumping. You talk about a show off. Right? Look at this. The scriptures say in verse seven took his right hand and raised him up and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong boom and leaping and he stood and began to walk and enter the temple with them walking and leaping and praising Jesus he's worshiping God he's leaping he walks in the temple which I think is absolutely hilarious because you got to keep in mind picture this so he temple is way more liturgically astute than here for sure okay so you think of Catholic church and you think on another level okay so this dude's like, woohoo! You know, he's doing all this, and then he goes in temple, like, mm-hmm. Because he didn't show out in temple. It says they went to they, they went in the temple. Because later we see them leave temple. So can you imagine what temple was like that day? They just saw the dude get healed, and then he goes and worships the Lord in temple, and they're hanging out and they're doing all the liturgical things. And people kind of looking at this brother, like, oh my goodness, that's a dude right there. And Peter and John, like, this is sweet. Like, we, leave we And nobody said anything because they're focused on Yahweh. This is what happened. This is in the first century. It says, And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And what this is is a fulfillment, right? Fulfillment of Isaiah. It says in Isaiah uh, chapter 35, verse 6. When Messiah comes, basically, the scriptures read, then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. You hear that water in a beautiful word picture? Water breaks forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. What does that sound like? Does that sound like Joel talk to you? Right. Does it sound like John seven talk? When the Spirit comes out of streams of living water, right? Does that sound like, that? Does that sound like abundance talk of what God is gonna do when He swoosh, unleashes his Spirit? Joel 2, upon all flesh, right? So, man, is the Jesus then, is He doing the same things now? What does my formation look like now? What is my worship like now? Is it like that then? What do I believe? We have to ask ourselves. Let me make a few observations. Um, So I already talked about the fact that I love the fact that Peter and John walked past this man and didn't try to heal him. And all of a sudden, the day they do. Um, I love also the fact that when you look at the, when you look at the text here, it's very interesting that I don't know, you know, this whole, you know, again, the faith movement scares me to death because it's, 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 it's not honoring Jesus where you feel like you can appropriate your faith and manipulate God. That that's not biblical, but there seems to be something here that's going on that we're going to see later in the text. There seems to be a, a sense of like, by God's grace, there was some, there is faith appropriated and that God used that to bring the healing. We'll see that in a moment. I'm still trying to understand whose faith. was it Peter's faith or the dude? We'll talk about that in a moment. I love he, he's immediately strengthened, goes in the temple. And it's, it's just kind of like if one of you guys today, you know, you're walking into the Waldorf, dude's sitting there lame, Ken walks up to him, you heal him and then come to church. Here is something I wanted to bring up, though. As we, uh, before we continue, I start thinking to myself, uh, as we do, as we look at the passage, and as we think more about Jesus, I'm always trying to find teachable moments where we can inform our theology on some, some, some side topics when I see some things are happening. Like, oh, this can help us understand this area of, of our understanding of who God is. And I think, when I look at this passage, I think we have, we have to ask ourselves, do you ever think about, like, why do people get sick? It made me think, like, well, why do people get sick? You know, why do people need this? Uh, why do people... You know, are lame? Why are people uh, maimed? Why are people mute? And I think this uh, this passage made me ask that question. And so, I wanted to take a a brief commercial to talk through that, to just kind of continually build our spiritual toolbox, so we know what the scriptures say about why do people get sick. Uh, Cool. So, first, uh, why do people get sick? Or or um, or You know, or we we have like health issues or physical ailments. Uh, First and foremost, I want to propose because of sin. All right. So when you're thinking of sickness, first of all, the reason why we're sick is because of sin. Why do people die? It's because of sin. I mean, the death, and when you see people jacked up, or you see people coming in, and they're, and they're crippled. I remember once I was in Florida, and the Lord, I, I'll never forget this moment, because it was just one of those times where this Holy Spirit just, it just hits you hard. And I saw a, a young lady come into a restaurant, and she was crippled. And I remember she just she was just working hard, man, to just get to her table, you know. And I remember it was one of those days where, I don't know, what the Lord, all of a sudden, I just start weeping. I started uncontrollably crying. And I, I didn't know why. I, was just, I wonder if the Lord just, at that point, just reminded me, like, it's not supposed to be like this. She shouldn't have to, she shouldn't have to be helped and, and feel like, you know, people looking at her. And it's not supposed to be like that. You know, my, my buddy a couple weeks ago, um, a month ago, 36 years old, you know, he just died. They still don't know what happened. They say 2% of deaths uh, go, go, go where they're like, we don't know why he died. And he's one of them, 36 years old, do I disciple when he was in college at Miami, Ohio, Tim Clark, you know? And it's like, man, he has twin daughters, you know? Seven years old, boo? Seven years old, you know? It's like, man, you ain't supposed to be like that, you know? But the scripture's saying, Romans five twelve. um, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because of all sin, the scriptures read. That because of, of the fall, because of, of us sinning against God, we placed ourselves in an environment, in a spiritual graveyard of decreation. Right, and so now, because of our our disobedience, we do have asthma like i do and and our kids do have you know down syndrome and we, and we, and we are we find ourselves struggling with you know all kinds of different ailments in our local body, right and we find people crippled and maimed and can't see and right. And we find people with skin diseases and all this brokenness around our world. And we even find the, the, the nature, the, 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 the creation that we see outside even crying out and saying, man, like trees shouldn't get diseases and die. And all these things remind us that we need a savior, that, that we need a rescuer, that we need a healer. That's his point. Is that when you see all these things that shouldn't be And you go, man bro, I shouldn't have all these broken relationships I shouldn't be just depressed It reminds you is because We're broken And we need a rescuer It's not to make you just be more depressed It's to make you hope in your rescuer The brokenness is supposed to point to our savior And what we do We go, okay, I'm broken I gotta fix it. I gotta figure it out I gotta fix it, I gotta read this, I gotta do that And we miss the whole point The point is Christological. It's Christ. Another reason, though, why we get sick and get jacked up, and, 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 you, and you, we've seen that, right? We, there's, there's um, and so sometimes there's not a reason. You don't know. When, when, when uh, Connor, my son, uh, has a kidney issue, you know, it's like, it's one of those things that just happens. There's no explanation. <laughs> you know, we're sitting there crying our eyes out, and we're like, man, like, our son's going to die? What's up? Like, why is this happening? And what You know, and you're just like, the doctor's like, it's not like a, I can tell you what happened, but we don't know why. Sometimes they're like, this happens to, was it 1% of all boys or something? Like, like, we don't know. Well, God does. God tells us because we're broken. And the world's jacked up. So then sometimes it's, our kidneys just don't work right. The other one is personal sin. We get sick because of personal sin. Uh, Second Samuel. uh, Chapter 12 verse 13 to 15. It says David said to Nathan. I've sinned against the Lord. If you know the story here. David sins against. uh, 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 Have sex with Bathsheba. And falls into sin. And and he's like acting all like hoity-toity. Like yeah if someone does evil I'll get him. And Nathan's like what dude. Like I'm talking about you. And Nathan tells him like. Hey so what would happen if someone's doing the things you did. And he's like I would do this. And Nathan's like you're the man. And then. Uh, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord, you're right. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. Hey, I put away the Lord's gracious, to put away your sin. Uh, you shall not die. I'm not gonna kill you. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house. Uh, there's many more uh, examples. There's examples in, in the New Testament. Where our personal sin—here's the thing—some of us guys need to calm down because we kind of take rest, we kind of take refuge sometimes in the sovereignty of God, and we think that our actions don't matter at all. And we go, no, you know, these things happen this thing's happened because that's just what happens in the world, broken world. That's what Pastor Russ said. Well, Pastor Russ is also telling you that when you practice evil and when you make stupid decisions, that sometimes God says, "I'm just going to let those decisions take their course." And so when you have premarital sex and you want to be out here and being all, you know, going around and sleeping and treating women like crap, and then you get AIDS, don't go, Lord, why? Right? When you spend all your money, right, and you can't pay your bills, don't go, Lord, Why? So a lot of us got a lot of personal junk going on in us, and we don't want to take any ownership. And God is telling you and me, own some of your stuff. Sometimes your life's jacked up because of you. And I pray that we get this part of our body. We got to get this because our culture, we blame shift. We go, no, they did it. And, and, and Detroit, the services did it. And these people didn't give me my this time, and this check. And we didn't get, and it's everybody else who treating you like bad. And, and you just, everybody else horrible and you're awesome. And only if everybody will be awesome like me, my life will be okay. So we got to figure out a way, local body, to recover. A robust understanding of how to help people see that God is sovereign and that, yeah, things just happen. But, but a lot of times, just look at what you own. What did you, what did you do? Right? And if you know that story there, you know, um, when his son died, he was just like, he was sad, but then he weeped and went on. He's like, dude, he owned this stuff. Sam. Say, say it again. You said if we sin personally, will that come? So, so let's say that I'm spending a lot of time, like, lusting um, Is that going to lead me to get cold? I mean, like... Yeah, yeah. Well, the, well, the New Testament is clear. The New Testament says, and then there's some sins that lead to death. So that was an example. But when you read, when you read the epistles, it's very clear that he says that, hey, in James... He talks about the reality of sin, basically not being from God, like like God isn't making us do stuff. We do it, and then we reap the consequence. And then it says there's some sin that lead to death. So I would say there's sin that have all kind of gradations of consequences. So what you don't want to do when, you, when you're studying the Bible, you don't want to take this literal and say, oh, so if I do this, this will happen. What you want to see is the divine character of God in this, and that is God sometimes will make you have to reap what you sow. And that is a clear biblical mandate in Proverbs. So it's a good question. And I want to encourage you to go to James and read the epistle and see how he talks about sin and what what it does in us and to us. If you want to be encouraged. So, James. AJ. So this is supposed to be a commercial now, y'all. Sorry. AJ. (laughs) AJ. Good question. Sometimes the beauty, and that's a good question from a man, AJ, is saying, when you sin, do you always get sick or do you have other punishments? That is the beauty of God. So the beauty of God is some of us have deserved death and we didn't receive it. And so, so that's the thing, is, is, is what the Lord wants you, to, you and I to understand, and this is how the counsel of Scripture always works, which I'm excited about, but it's also really hard for me as a type A person, is that God says, hey, in life, There might be opportunities where you pay for your sin because I supernaturally do something. It might be times where you pay for your sin because of your own consequences. And there may be times where I'm merciful and I say, you deserve to pay for that sin, but I'm not going to release it upon you. And so I would propose to you a key indicator to affirm my my point and to affirm that even in that passage there, he's talking about the whole gradation. Because notice what Nathan said. You're not going to die. The implication is God usually would kill you for that, <laughs> right? You're not going to die. Chill out, but I'm going to kill your son. See, and that both would have been totally just from God. That's, that's the implication. And so that's God. I want to propose even in killing, even killing his son, God was even demonstrating his mercy saying, I'm not going to kill you. But there will be consequences for what you do. So I want to say that to young people, AJ, is that the whole the takeaway here is that God is extremely gracious. And there's so much stuff that we've all done. We all deserve death. So if God was really saying, I'm a, I am ai pay for when you do this, I pay you this way, we'd all be dead. So that's, so we know that can't be the case. So now we got to do more theology and say, okay, so we know that God doesn't pay us for all of our sin because I'm still breathing. So it must be something else. Oh, first, God wants me to see the evidence of his mercy, that I'm breathing, and all I got is asthma, and I should be dead. So that means God is really merciful because I've done a lot to be killed. I don't know about y'all, but when those songs come up, the reason why I'm singing and and falsetto and sounding crazy, because I think about my life and the things I've done and who I am and who God has made me, and it makes me want to shout out. And so God is merciful. At the same time, God is fully just. And so there's times where he determines, no, nah, I'm going to have you pay for this one, brother. This is jacked up, you know. And then there's times where he says, you know what, you like living that life? I'm going to step back and I'm going to r- remove my grace in that way. And I'm going to let you just go ahead and walk down that alley, that one-way alley in the dark by yourself and show you that I know you think you got, but look how it's turning out. You follow me? So, so, so what that does, that should bring um, a sense of stewardship. I'm like, wow, I'm in a gracious hand of God. Come what may, but man, the Lord has given me a stewardship. I hope that helps. I'm going to keep moving for the sake of time. Great questions, guys. Great questions. Finally, I want to say sometimes we're sick because of demonic forces. Scriptures uh, show that. Uh, and uh, you could write some verses down. Matthew 4, verse 24. Uh, Matthew 8 verse 2 and there's a theme that happens in these verses where he's talking about people being healed from demon possession uh, sickness and he puts it all together because in the first century uh, there's some you know there's there's seven examples probably seven or so examples in, um, in the Gospels where we see individuals being healed out of sickness from demonic oppression um, Here's one where he, gets, where he puts the whole kit and caboodle together in, in, in Matthew 8, verse 16. He says, that evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with the word, and he healed all those who were sick. And the whole point is, there are some people who were just healed, right, and they didn't have demon possession. There are some people who were healed and had demon possession. Again, again first century, you guys remember, there was no, there was no, no iPads, and they were kind of like, hey, so are you demon possessed, or you kind of got the flu, 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 you know, and they had like, you know. They right, didn't have like, you know, statistics and like, okay, so 40% were demon-possessed and 20% was, right? Because I think we can start thinking that. Like, why does he say demon-possessed? It's because he's saying there was a lot of sick people and some of them had demons and some of them was just jacked up and God healed them. That's his point. Um, finally, I want to propose uh, sometimes we're sick because uh, God has a bigger picture in mind. And that's, I think I think all the other ones I totally get. This one I kind of I kind of struggle with. Sometimes he's like, so we see uh, in Matthew, I'm sorry, in John chapter nine, uh, where the guys go, hey, who? Why is this guy? Why is this guy sick? Why, why is the guy jacked up? Is it because he's sin or his parents? And what does God say? He said, hey, no, because th- this guy was sick, so God could show His glory. I mean, I, I'm, if I'm that guy, I'm like, well, thanks, Lord. Right? I got to be the lab rat. You know what I'm saying? Like, what's up with that? Right? But it's clear. We see it in Scripture. So sometimes God is like, something's going on in your life, and you're like, man, what's up? And God is like, hey, enter brokenness willingly because I'm trying trying to show my wanders through your life. See, I I propose some of us got to hold on and go, man, I think the Lord wants to do something. And I remember a guy who discipled me, he always says, Eric, be wise and enter into brokenness willingly. And you fight brokenness. It can be a crazy journey. So, uh, just to recap that commercial, fall, we fall in sin. It's our personal sin, demonic forces, and, and, and sometimes, uh, God has a bigger picture where he's just like, I just want to be glorified. You look at Job. Everybody trying to find out what Job do. What's crazy about Job? Job, Job crazy. Job, Job. And, and at the end of the book, what, what do you find out? Guys, like, look, man, all y'all tripping because I, I could have killed you a long time ago. you ain't not all that. I did this to make a point to this dude. Right? So, as a clear man, if you see it in the scripture, you can. In other words, like, he you you know, you get sick, but you're you God. And someone else can be looking be like, man, he went through all that. I want to be like that. So, like, that how you can use you. I love that example because I love how you give glory to God. You like the, that people see how you handle those adversities and then they want to worship. Right. right? And so, we even see Paul, right? We hear the thorn in the side, the things that are going on in his life. And then, what's what's, what's the response in the, in, in the epistles? Right, well, chill out, Paul. This, is hum- this, this will humble you. Your, your faith is made perfect in my weakness, right? It's a posture. It's that you got this issue that you're all Paul was struggling with something. And you don't hear Paul having a sin issue or something crazy going on in his life. You just hear that, man, he has a struggle that he's been asking the Lord to release him from for years. And God is like, no, I, I need to do this because I need to be glorified. I mean, that's jacked up. You know, but, but is our guy good, right? So... So sometimes, I think, I think that's actually good, just to bring glory to Jesus. So, um, Let me continue on, guys. Thanks for uh, allowing that commercial. I just want us to have just a, give a, a more robust understanding of, like, when those things happen, that you'll be thinking about the scriptures we talked about. You'll be thinking about the narrative of God and, 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 how, and how he approaches the world and what he's trying to do. And at the end, I hope you all, we'll all see it's about Jesus at the end. That's what it all does, right? It leads you to Christ. The verses continue on, guys, for the sake of time. I'm going to skip a little uh, chunk here. Uh, just let you know that, that the reason uh, why God heals, I want to bring that up real quick. The reason why, why does God heal? Obviously to bring glory to God, which we've made very clear. And I wanted to just, just to share even from scriptures what you'll see in your own time. You can write these addresses down. I think they'll be up here. It reveals God's love and mercy. You kind of see that in verses 6 and 7. It confirms Jesus is God's servant, that when God heals, what it does, it validates who he is as a servant, specifically here, but even in our lives, that he's a servant. Um, he's God's servant. He's God's man. Verses 13 and 14, it reveals the kingdom of God. It reveals that the kingdom of God is coming in that time and in that place, that it reminds us, oh, we're not just here left unto ourselves, but Jesus reigns, and he's coming back, and that his kingdom is coming right now in our hearing. Right? I'm sorry, in our hearing. As we look right now, we see his kingdom. Uh, and it preaches the gospel to non-Christians, even as, uh, Ken was saying, right? That when, that when we see God healing and when he does his supernatural work and wanders, unbelievers go, what's going on there? And now we have a stewardship issue, and which gets me frustrated with prosperity theology and people who claim to have gifts of healing, because a lot of times we'll say Jesus, but we'll point a lot to us. Notice in this passage, there's not a lot of this, it's Jesus, it's me, it's Jesus, it's just straight up like, you, you don't, you don't sense a lot of like, wow, those guys are awesome, you sense like, wow, look what God is doing. So non-Christians want to worship Christ because they see the miracles and works that validate his reality and reign. And it motivates worship to God. Is that when you get all that and you start to see God for who he is and you see him do these things and it reminds you of who he is and who you are not. It makes you want to trust him and say, man, I want to worship you, father. Scriptures read in verse 11. While he clung to Peter and John, a beautiful picture. All the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in a portico called Solomon's um, servant. Isn't that cool? I just, just picture dude totally healed. But he's like, whoa, come on, man. Let's, no, don't go. Where are you going? <laughs> Clung to him. You like that? And, and I love the fact that then you start to see, um, it says in verse 12, uh, Peter begin to address the people. It's almost like he, uh, he got kind of weirded out because he's healed now and all the people are coming around him. Can you imagine? Imagine the picture. So they're in the, they in the liturgical service, hanging out. Everybody's like, "Man, I want to be all stoned, Jew, but I can't wait till we leave the service, man, so I can know what happened." So then they leave service and they all start crowding the brother. Right? And he clings them. He clings onto these guys. Like, "Man, don't let them get me, brother." And you know, I know I got these legs. I know I can run. Now I'm tight, but you know, don't let them get me. And they all crowd around him. And Peter sees it as opportunity, right? Because here's what he had to do. You've seen that, so can you imagine after an hour, everyone has come up with their reason of what happened, right? So there's all kind of stinking thinking in the crowd right now. Everybody thinking crazy, right? Probably trying to exalt them, all these other stuff. And so he, so Peter's like, no, this is my opportunity to talk about the true significance of the miracle, right? Because he knows, because we all jacked up as people, he knows if he doesn't make clarity, they're going to mess it up. So he, so he says, I want to get to the crowd. I want to make sure that they understand exactly what was happening. I don't want this to escape the crowd. And in verse 12, it says, and when Peter saw it, I love that, almost saw it, saw what? The, what happened? But I want to repose when he saw also the opportunity, right? When he saw it, when he saw the crowd come, he said, oh, man, I get to preach the gospel again. That's what's up. When he says, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wander at this? Why are you staring at us? Or why do you stare at us? As though by our own power of piety we have made him walk. Right? I mean, when is the last time you heard that kind of that kind of audacity from healers? Right? Where they just keep saying, Quit looking at me. Right? I don't even know if I can do it again. (laughs) Put me out there like that. This is God's grace. He says, verse thirteen: The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our forefathers, glorified a servant, Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. I love, I love what he does here. I love he, he, I, just being a pastor and a preacher. I I, I, I get this. I love he preached the same sermon again because he liked it last time. You like that? He's like, man, it, it was off the chain last week. I'm going to bring that again. I don't know if these guys heard how I brought that new analogy. You know what I'm saying? And He starts talking. To, he basically preaches the exact same sermon that he preached in the last chapter. You can check that out in your own time. But as a pastor, I was totally relating to the brother. So, and, and notice what he does. Notice what he does in verses 13. When you listen to that language, guys, that God of Abraham, that God of Jacob, what does that remind you of, right? It reminds you of the burning bush, the theophany right? That sense of like, um, uh, why do you think he does that? Why do you think he, he takes the first century Jew? Again, remember, these are Jewish people, so they hear that, and they're like, man, that's big language you're talking about there, right? Well, the last time, when you hear that kind of language, you're talking about Yahweh, right? I am who I am, and what was happening? That was, that was God kind of instituting and, and beginning to construct his people, right? He was Saying, hey, you tell him I got him, I'm going I'm to bring you guys out of this and I got you, right? He's, he was calling his people out, as it were, right? He was basically saying revelation is happening. Just as revelation happened then, revelation is happening now. That, you, that What you're seeing right now is the revelatory act of the king of all the world. And so he talks the same passage, same kind of sermon. Jesus wanders, right? The sacrifice of sin, resurrection, exaltation, the spirit. He's a spirit giver. He gives the same sermon. I love that. And then what he does, he shows us, and just, Again, th- th- there's a theme that we see in chapter in, the ch- in chapter 2 and chapter 3. He's continually trying to just talk about this reality of the exaltation of Christ. See, we, I get used to this. But I, I want God to recover me like in awe when I think of Christ is exalted as king on high. Because look what he does here. He's kind of showing us okay well the reason why we have this power now is cuz y'all killed jesus and let me just let me get a little personal on you here you you guys actually chose a murderer instead of a savior like how jacked up is that i mean this gets real personal right that ain't cool but i thought it was interesting they did that and then he says guess what jesus died for us so he he dies and then what he in dying he's exalted And as he's exalted, what Jesus does, then he endows us, sends back down the power to remind us of that we can act like Jesus because he's empowered us to act like him. And then when we act like him, it does validate him again and it exalts Christ. So it's like this beautiful thing where he dies in order to be exalted. Then he sends down his power so that in his exaltation, he can allow us to retell his story through his power. And as we do that, we get to point back to Jesus in exalting him. So what I say is they act like Jesus because they have the power of Jesus, which means that Jesus is still powerful and he's living. That's the point. You want to know what's the big idea I propose in Acts 3 is that, oh, that Jesus who died is living and we see his works and wonders through his people. He's powerful and working, y'all. And look what it says here. Verse 14, but you denied the Holy One and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. He says, man, the governor was going to let him go and you spoke against him. And you notice, notice that theme, where as we talk about themes in the scriptures, as you're reading the Bible, notice how many times we've seen it in Acts, in Acts chapter 2 many times. We've seen it uh, in Acts chapter 3 here, and we've even seen it at the end of Acts chapter, I think the end of Acts chapter 1, where he always contrasts the sense of like man's treatment of Jesus and God's treatment of Jesus, right? And then he tells us, treat Jesus like God treated Jesus, Right? And this is for your own enjoyment. When, when, um, when you look at verse 13 and 14, I want you to notice how, if you're, you're talking about how do you do a course on how to make much of Christ, look at how he continues to talk about this whole display. He, he just displays Christ so much in these passages. I just want us to see it and, and, like, and learn how to preach the gospel um, in these fashions. He always talks about him being a long-awaited servant and Lord that we see through the whole God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that he was always wanted and, and needed. And then he talks about the sense of God glorified him and that he is a holy and righteous one but he's the author of life and being the author of life what what happened was he he died on the cross and was raised from the dead and it's like that continual theme I just love the holistic gospel that you see uh, Peter preaching and finally uh, he says in the scriptures, "To this, you are, uh, to this, we are witnesses." In verse sixteen, in His name, by faith in His name, He has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And I just want when you see that in His name. You see that a lot in scriptures where we talk about in Jesus' name a lot when we when we say that when we're praying. When we're praying, and I want us to understand that when we talk like that, here's what you're saying. You're saying what it really does. It stands for the reality of who Jesus is in your life. When you're saying that, that's what that means. Peter's point is that, is that hey, um, he's not acting. Peter's not acting, but Jesus is acting. When he says, in Jesus' name. And the whole point is that, <clears throat> that miracles that we see, when you think of, what's the point? What, what, what? Okay, God does this cool act that miracles, specifically here, are evidence that Christ is on the throne and he's working to the glory of the Father. And I bring that up because... Here's the application I want to provo- pro- provide. Um, first, I want to say to the believer in this room, to my people, to the, to the saints of God um, if we believe that, we believe his wonders are for gospel purposes, we believe that, mark, that, that, that it's a marker that Jesus is alive, the question is, is he still working in and through us? Right? And I, I'm proposing that an implication is that Peter is trying to model. Uh, To those who are watching, who started to worship Jesus, because those who love Jesus started worshiping him. He's saying, guess what? When you see that, you see that happening, what that's supposed to do for us is build a joy and a confidence uh, that we have a good Savior and that he's working. And so now, if that's the reality, now we're not scared to invite people to church. We're not scared to neighbor. We're not not, um, anxious about our businesses. We're not anxious about if we're going to pass a test. Right? If Jesus is not just deistic, but he's, inter, he's, he's basically working in and with us, he's in a relationship with us, that changes how we pray, how we live our life. Right? We live it with great courage because we have the same access as they did. Um, if you're an unbeliever, if you don't know Jesus, I just want to propose to you uh, that it brings you to a point of decision. Uh, and that's what he's doing in the Gospels is that he's saying, and in, and in the epistle here, he's saying, look, if, if Jesus is the exalted one, then, man, that um, requires your life. And he's saying you don't have to jump through hoops. But the beauty of the Gospel is that he's trying to make it so clear, uh, not to say, oh, you're so evil, you're so broken, you're so messed up, and make you feel bad, right? But it really is to just bring us to grips with who we are and to be able to trust our Savior, Jesus, and so God's goal is for no person to leave life still separated from God. And so we pray um, that you as a people, if you don't know Jesus right now, you know, well, how do I become a Christian? Now, the Bible says if you um, believe it in your heart and you confess with your mouth, the scriptures say you'll be saved. That, that God wants us to confess that he's God and we're not. He wants us to repent of our sin. That means to, to turn from our sin toward God. And he says we get to, as we believe Jesus being our Lord and Savior, he says that God gives us forgiveness. He fills us with the spirit. And then he begins and continues that sanctification work until the day of redemption. That's the promise we have in our Savior. I pray that no one leaves not experiencing that promise. Um, let's pray, and I want to encourage us. Um, I, had a, I don't know if you guys saw the discipleship board. There's a little board back there, Lee, if you can go behind. Uh, there's a board here that, that I want to bring up because as a body, I want to encourage us. We have a vision. We talked about a vision. Um, we are trusting the Lord. Uh, have you seen this little board here, guys? Um, this is a board that's going to be, it's on the table, and I just don't know if many of us have seen this. And this is what we're trusting the Lord for this year. We're trusting the Lord for 16 mad groups, and we would love to see God just provide 120 people in discipleship. All right, we know uh, for, for, for a while the church, we don't usually we don't talk about numbers. And, and I think there's, I want to be careful, because I think there can be some arrogance in that. And I want to make sure that we're, being, that we're being tenacious about seeing people come to Christ because here's the thing is you guys are an awesome local body. And I think for us, I don't want to hide a candle under a bushel, <laughs> you know. And so I want the gospel to be known through this local body. We want to have an influence in our community for Christ. And we're just asking the Lord to allow people to have to come to grips with who Christ is in this community uh, through the love of the saints. And so I want to encourage you guys as we think of mad groups. You know, right now we just uh, started another. So we're at nine and, and we just pray. Ask the Lord with me. Let's be inviting. Let's be preaching the gospel. Let's be experiencing God's grace. But guys, let's vouch for who Christ is in this community and this point, and usher people to our local body. Remember what we said? By Easter, wouldn't it be cool just to see this whole area packed where we get to preach the gospel to our neighbors? Do we believe God for that? Guess what? I'm proposing that one of the reasons he wrote verses 1 through 16 in chapter 3 is to say, if I can heal a dude who was lame... I can bring some people into a local body to hear the gospel, right? That's his point. You can put that, you can insert that in any area of your life because he's saying, validated me as king, so chill out. That's Jesus' point, okay? Uh, We have one more question. Let me get to that one after we, cool. Hey, let me pray for us, guys. We're going to have a uh, time.